Well, as we continue in worship this morning, would you turn your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 as we are making our way through 1 Corinthians. As I said last week, I was, I was tempted last week to have a sermon around uh, the election, right, and how we can have confidence. And uh, I said, you know, I preached on the Reformation Sunday on Psalm 46, and my wife lovingly said, how are you going to beat that, right? What are you going to do with that? When we know God is with us. He's a mighty fortress, right? And I thought, you're right. We got that covered, right? We're good. And so, uh, but what's amazing is everything that's happened this week, and maybe you're filled with uncertainty, I come back to this passage because I had that same thought again. I, you know, I should find something that just encourages, right? So that we walk out of here and say, God is good, He's in control, and I, I realize that you, you saints out there who've walked with the Lord many years, you don't need me to remind you of that. I mean, I know you know that. But looking at this passage, I feel that the heartbeat of the, of the scriptures, right, is the gospel. And it is, God, it, is, it is Paul's, rather, his response to a church that's struggling, right? They're questioning uh, the validity of the resurrection. Did Jesus really rise from the grave. And Paul sees this, of course, uh, uh, as a way that some people might question their faith, might walk away from Christianity. He has that seriousness attached to it. And so I thought, uh, you know, with things going on in our world, the one thing that you and I need and must be confident in is the gospel and the fact that Jesus has overcome this world to which everyone said, Okay, to which everyone else said. Okay, all right. It is so, you know, Paul's writing to this church, and they, they are, they have, they've struggled with divisions, right, in the beginning, if, if you've been with us that long, right, that he's, we've covered the divisions of I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and I follow Cephas, right, and then the holier-than-thou group, I follow Jesus, Right, there's always that group there, right? And so uh, they, he has these divisions, and that's going to play a little bit into what Paul, how Paul responds to this problem, right? He, he's going to tell us about the resurrection, but now he's going to come to, to witnesses, and he's not going to list all of the witnesses, right? He's just going to come to these certain ones that, that encourage the believer, that encourages the church. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever had, I this is rhetorical, but a moment of doubting. Have you ever looked upon the claims of Christianity and, and wondered, is it really true? No one wants to even nod at that. I think that's good, right? But there are moments, maybe in our own walk, where maybe you felt God is a million miles away. He's not just, you know, I know he's ever-present, and I know he hears my cries, but I feel like he's nowhere near me, right? And I think all of us at times, maybe in our own walk, would say, yeah, I've, I've felt that. And, and Paul realizes that in this church, there are some, right, if that's you today, there are some, I mean, Paul's writing to you, there are some in this congregation who are on the verge of saying, you know what, I really can't follow this Jesus. I've seen what a body does after it, after it dies, right? It just, it doesn't, you know, it decays. It goes one direction, that's where it goes. And so they're saying, look, I don't, yeah, I don't know if this whole Jesus thing is true, uh, because I don't think a dead body can come up from the grave. So Paul's force, I just, that's what I'm getting at is, no, this is factual, right? This, I've, I've, on purpose, you know, 
I know you guys think I'm super creative, but my sermon title is right, the, the primary facts of the gospel, part three, right? Dun, dun, dun. Um, to drive this idea that this is what he's doing. This is really the Christian confession. I mean, this is really who we are. Christ lived, he died for our sins, he rose from the grave. That is our confession as followers of Jesus Christ. And part of his raising is so vital and important that Paul says if he doesn't raise, which makes common sense, there's no salvation. Right? And Paul is so adamant about this and so stressing, right? I stress this. I declare it to you. I, I preach this to you. This is the gospel. You need to understand it. That if we were to say, you know what, to this morning I'm a little hesitant about believing this resurrection stuff, I'm not so sure. Well, you can't just take the resurrection and, and jettison it, right? I don't know. Let's, let's reason it away. You can't because if you do that, you have to jettison Paul, right? You have to jettison the Gospels. You have to jettison all of Scripture, right? It all goes with it. It all hangs on this defining moment. So there is fact Christ came, fact. He died on that cross. He died for sinners such as you and I. In fact, he rose and he overcame the world. And Paul says, if you, if you're struggling there, maybe you've believed in vain. See, Paul will touch that, that word for his own life. God's grace to me hasn't come in vain. So he says, look, the Savior's risen, right? It's almost he's it's not that there's attitude here, but you can kind of read between the lines. He's like, this is, this is the reality. Deal with it, right? I don't care what you think. Jesus rose, right? That's where he's at, and he's completely confident in it. I love the story of, of an African man who was, a, who was a Muslim, and he converted to Christianity, and his friends asked him, why did you convert to Christianity? And so he says, well, it's like this. If you're going on a journey, and you're walking along, on the road you're on comes to a fork, there's no direction signs, and you don't know which way to go, but there's two people there. One's dead and one's living. Which one are you going to ask for directions? <laughs> yeah, the one living, right? So that's what we have. We may come across stuff in this world. We may question sometimes God's love. When we come to that fork, that fork in the road, we can ask a Savior through prayer, Lord, what do you require of me? What are you asking me? Which way do I need to go? Because he's a living king. That's who he is. So this is what Paul is saying. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to look at verses 5 through 11. And he says this, coming out of the resurrection that Jesus, in verse 4, the third day, according to the scriptures, he rose, verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, right, and the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep, some have passed away. After that, he was seen by James and uh, by all the, all the apostles. And then last, last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But, there's a contrast, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. 
Let me offer a brief prayer. Lord, as we turn to your, your holy word now, I ask that, Lord, you would open our eyes, that your Holy Spirit would be with us, teaching us, encouraging us, strengthening us. Lord, if this day is a day where you uh, want to strengthen our faith and stretch us and grow our confidence, Lord, let it be so, according to your purpose, according to your plan. And we pray according to your will, and Lord, I ask that you take me out of the way that every thought and uh, life, Lord, and I this morning be fixed upon you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been working our way through this chapter, Paul has covered some ground, right? And so the first couple of verses, if you remember, which I am positive you do, right? It's a few Sundays back, but I know it's right there on your mind. Uh, in verse 1, we talked about the gospel doesn't change, right? The same gospel that delivered Paul that saved Paul, the chief of sinners, the persecutor of the church, is the same gospel that redeemed you and I. I don't know about you, that's encouraging, right? It doesn't change. It's the same message. The gospel still, right, it redeems sinner. We see this in verse, uh, verses uh, 2, uh, 1b through 2, right? We receive the gospel. We stand in the gospel. We're saved in the gospel. This is his message. This is his answer to, to the doubters who are questioning the resurrection, and then last Sunday, we came to the, right, the gospel is God's truth, right? Paul didn't receive it and say, you know what? I'm going to tweak this, tweak that, and I'm going to make this, I'm going to flower this up a little bit, right? I'm going to add a little sugar, make it go down a little better, right? There's a song in that, right? So he doesn't do that. He says, what I received, I, I've given. I didn't change anything, right? Very important for us. It's not his. It's God's truth, for Paul, the gospel is most important, must be communicated, right? So we have to communicate the need, the answer, the assurance. So this is what Paul is doing. He's saying, this is it. This is where we have confidence. And I know it takes a little bit of faith here to say, no, he rose. But now Paul is going to go into some more facts for us, right? He is uh, the Savior who is not in the tomb. He lives. So what do we learn? What do we need to know this morning out of verses uh, 5 through 11, well, through 5 through 8, I put the gospel reveals God's willingness to redeem. Right? I mean, pause for a moment. That's like a no-brainer, isn't it? He, he's, he is love, and so he sends his son to die. I mean, think for a moment, right? What is, what is, who does God actually save us from? It's our sins, but he saves us from him. It's his wrath that is due us. And he pours out upon his son. So Paul says, look, hey, this reveals the willingness. As I'm looking at it, he says, look, uh, he was seen, Christ was seen by Peter, right, Cephas. And then by the 12, after that, he was seen by 500. Right, it was not like there's just a few, there's 500, right? Some are living, some have, have died. And he says after that, he was seen by James, right, the half-brother of Jesus, then by all the apostles. And then he says, he came to me. He came, I saw him. I saw the risen Savior. Now here is, here is Paul's theology. Here is his conviction, right? Without a risen Savior, there's no salvation. The whole thing is pointless, right? If Christ didn't rise from the grave, we should just throw the Bible aside and go live the rest of your days, right? I mean, that's, that's where he's at, and that's where we should be at as Christians. And so he stresses there is an actual, right, uh, body that went into the grave. He was actually buried. And now we come to this passage. He was actually raised, 
right? So the doubters are going, okay, all right, I see this. Now he was visual, right? The proof of the resurrection for Paul validates Christianity, right? It's central to the whole thing, this defining moment. The Bible is about redemption, right? Genesis chapter 3, I don't know why Adam ate the fruit, right? We get to heaven, we won't slap him unless it's in love, right? So we don't know why he did that, right? God's plan, there's mystery there. And yet we see the whole unfolding of Scripture of God redeeming his people, of you and I, which are a part of that. What's interesting is Paul begins to phrase this. Remember, he's writing to Christians, and he has Christians who are doubting. Are you doubting this morning? He's writing to you. See, when Jesus was on the cross, uh, there were, were many non-believers, right, who witnessed all of that. It was just another day in the Roman Empire, right? It's just another day. It's just another guy on a cross. Except the, the Gospels record for us that when Jesus was on the cross, there were those mocking him. Now, if you're all of that, right? If you're the Son of God, why don't you come down off that cross? You can imagine there's a lot more said, right? But you see, the death of Jesus was almost in front of the world, of a doubting world. But now Paul focuses the resurrection towards the church, towards believers. Jesus appeared to who? To the church, to people, right, who knew him, who were believing on him. It wasn't random to, to other people who would say, well, I don't know, I'm not so sure. No, he appears to the church. Are you doubting this morning? Are you struggling with everything going on in our world? Right? Well, as believers, we have confidence in Christ. We can look to him. The resurrection has a different focus. It is our confidence. Now, Paul comes to this passage, and he's, he's not trying to, to, to prove the resurrection per se. Right? Think about it. Um, well, he is trying to prove the resurrection, but it's not his point to be exhaustive of all the facts of the resurrection. Right? If you were to tell someone, hey, Jesus rose from the grave, what would be part of that, that testimony? Well, there was this tomb, right? And the stone was rolled away. And there was, oh, I don't know, Mary who saw Jesus first. But Paul doesn't mention that, does he? He doesn't mention Mary. He doesn't, even, he doesn't mention Thomas. What do we know about Thomas? He was a doubter, right? Now, he covers the doubters. <clears throat> but he doesn't mention Thomas. And what about the guys on the road to Emmaus? Paul doesn't add those either. He was there and then disappears. I mean, that's, there's loads of examples of Christ's resurrection, but look who Paul picks. On the first one, he says, Cephas, right? And so if we're going to learn something about the character of God, the heart of God in the gospel, who does, who does Jesus come to? Well, we see the character of God because he redeems the denier, doesn't he? We see the redemption of the denier. Peter, I don't know about you, I said this once in a sermon and people laughed at me. I said, you know, I identify with Peter. Then I said, because he's such a stud. And they're like, really? That I didn't mean that. I meant because he has moments of greatness, right? You're like, yeah. And then there's moments of like, what? Too often I identify with the what side. But, but we see that in us, right, in Peter. But yet we know Peter in, in Jesus' final moments. Right? This death, and Luke records that they probably were looking eye to eye. They were looking at each other. When the rooster crowed, Jesus was looking into the eyes of Peter. Pause on that for a moment. Imagine that feeling. Moments ago, I'll never leave you. 
And the rooster crows, right? He's distraught. He's broken. Yeah, but what do you see of God, right? We know, if you're familiar with the story, he comes to Peter. He reinstates Peter. Do you love me, right? And it's not an accident that he sees this. It's not just a redemption thing. Remember, in, in this church, you have those who follow, right? They champion Cephas, Peter. So Paul's going to mention half the church, those who follow Cephas and those who follow Paul. Guess what? We are two who saw Jesus, right? He's dealing with that problem there. But I think he shed some light on us if Peter came to this moment of, of struggle in his life. He came to the fork in the road, and he became the denier. He didn't go down the right road. Christ is still willing to redeem. That's something about the character of who God is. He doesn't leave Peter to his own. He doesn't leave Peter broken. Even when Peter didn't want to hear it, you know I love you. You can imagine there's probably on the verge of tears. Do you love you? What about this other apostle, right? Don't worry about him. Do you love me? I mean, he needed to hear that. Are you on the verge of denying Christ, right, who he is and what he's done? Are you unsure? You have to realize the gospel shows, it reveals the character of God. He so loved the world. He gives his son and writes, he dies upon a cross, that even those who have moments of denying the truth of who he is, who have failed him, have you ever felt like a failure Guess what? There's good news for you this morning. Christ redeems. He goes on from there and he adds, right? We see this in the 12. Here's the deserters, right? We talked about the tomb being rolled away. The stone is, is rolled and, and Christ is gone. And, and Mary goes and tells the disciples. And what was their response? Well, Peter and John took off running, depending on what account you read, right? But most of them didn't believe it. I mean, Jesus has to show up. And what does he do? He rebukes them. You should know better. You walked me three years. I told you multiple times, right? I don't know about in our own life. I see such a parallel here. How many times have you, you walked with the Lord and have had faith, and then you feel like you've just, I fail him. I've deserted him. There's no hope. What do you see of Christ? Maybe this morning you need to hear a rebuke from Christ. I've shared this story before of a, of a person telling me, you know, God can't love me, can't forgive me, right? I've shared that story with tears, and I remember saying, you know, shame on your pastors, right, who haven't explained the gospel, and shame on you if, if you've come to the cross and you've questioned redemption. Let's once again go to the cross. If you're feeling like a deserter, Christ, right, is willing to save. Look, he goes on. Paul says common people, right? He's proven common people people of, of no repute here. He just says common people. People of, of 500 have seen them. Maybe you have a variety, right? I think the, the element here is you don't have to be super uh, exceptional to be saved. You don't have to do some marvelous work. You just have to be you. I don't know about you, but some of us may need to hear that this morning. Some of us have grown up in churches maybe who felt like I've got to do this and this and this before he'll ever come close to accepting me. And guess what? That, that this and this and this doesn't do any help for you. You must come to the cross. Common people. You don't have to be extraordinary to be saved. You just need to be you. Come, repent of your sins, believe on Jesus. Paul goes on, he talks of James. Who is James, the unbeliever? John tells us this. I mean, James, who grew up with Jesus, and you can, you can imagine there's a lot of jokes here, right? Oh, I can't do it as good as Jesus, right? I mean, sure, he grew up with that. I know he's perfect. I know he's the perfect one. And he's a sinner just like you and I. You have siblings. You understand that, right? 
He didn't believe. John tells us that in John 7. He did not believe in Christ. He did not believe him. Yet Jesus appears to him. Jesus comes to him. James becomes a believer. He becomes the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. See, I think there's a lesson there that you may have family members. You may have no someone who is a hard heart, an unbeliever, outside of Christ. The gospel is able, right? God is able. God reveals his love for lost humanity because the reality is that's every single one of us. At one point, Christ has redeemed the unbeliever. Then I put on the apostles, like the redemption of the church, we follow the apostles' doctrine, don't we? Isn't that what we're told? Apostles' doctrine, it is the gospel. You know, Jesus commissions in Matthew 28 these apostles to go out and do what? And preach the gospel. Make disciples. Right? They believed it. They had conviction. Today, I think the church needs to have an awakening to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we understand that God is holy? At the end of your life, every single one of us will stand before that holy God and give an account. And you're either going to stand there on your own righteousness or that of another. You better trust the other. And last we see Paul, right? The redemption of the persecutor. See, Saul of Tarsus, let's face it, let's be honest, he was a terrorist. He was a racist. He hated these Christians. He obtained letters to extinguish them, right? That was who he is, and he acknowledges this. This is who I was. We see this in Acts chapter 8, and of course, Acts chapter 9, Jesus appears to Saul of Tarsus, redeems his life. Saul, why are you attacking me? See, we see God's willingness, we see his character, we see the lengths at which he goes to redeem us. And what I'm simply saying this morning is the fact that Jesus rose, but there's a purpose in his resurrection, that sinners such as you and I can have hope regardless of what we've gone through in life. There is nothing outside of the grace of God. It's called grace because you don't deserve it. Neither do I. It is his, and he extends it to every person today who will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God. The gospel reveals the character of God. So Paul simply says this. Look, this is who he is. Jesus rose. It's at the center of the gospel. You have to be confident in it. If Jesus didn't rise, you have absolutely no hope. But we do have hope. Jesus rose and he overcame. So the question for us this morning is, is there objectives or excuse me, objections that you have in your own life to what Christ can do? Have you believed on him or is your faith in vain? So we see God's character. Paul goes on from here and he says in uh, verses 9 through 10, which I'm simply saying, the gospel produces a clear view of ourselves. I mean, I think Paul says some wonderful things here that we all gravitate towards. He explains himself, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but, oh, there's the contrast, right? By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than, than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. 
It is amazing here as we, as we think about what this produces in us, right? When we come to the cross, we realize it was our sin, right? The reason Jesus had to die. There can be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. But what's the power of this is it produces something. It takes a person who is a persecutor of the church and turns them into a, a proclaimer, so what does it do, right? The gospel produces knowledge of ourselves, right? Paul thought uh, he was defending, right, God. Saul of Tarsus, I'm doing this for God. And it's completely unknown to him, right? As you think about how he's defended his life, even to the Corinthians, he said in chapter 2, right, I didn't come to you with, with great speech and oratorical, you know, uh, oratorical skills and all this stuff, but I preached to you Christ and him crucified that you would know your, your faith is built in God and not on man, right? He's defended that. He's even told us in chapter 9 that he's come, he must preach the gospel. This is why I've been commissioned, right? So, but here in this passage, he's not talking about Saul, is he? Or Paul, rather. He's talking about Saul. See, Paul understands the gospel the power of the gospel, the might of the gospel with who he was. I was a persecutor, he says. I persecuted the church of God. See, there's something that Paul understands about himself before he came to believe. He understood that I was actually attacking the very God I thought I was defending. But see, Paul says this, this, is, very, this is true of every single one of us. Right, listen to the language of Scripture. Jesus says it like this. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So outside of Christ, Jesus is saying it's not just that you're, you're indifferent to the gospel. He says, no, you're actually against me. That's the language of Jesus. Paul says it like this in Colossians 1.21. You, uh, you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works... We were alienated. We were enemies. Ephesians 2.5, you were dead in your trespasses. Right? John 3.18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Listen to the language. Right? Paul is, is honest because he did this. He attacked the church. He persecuted the church. He was present at the stoning of Stephen. Right? He was there. It's always a good thing. But the language of the Bible of those who don't believe in Christ is What? You are against Christ. You are enemies in your minds. You are dead in your trespasses. You are condemned already. That's the language of the Bible. To every single one of us identify with Paul, that's what the gospel roots out in us. There has to be a moment when we understand the holy God and who he is and then our sin, right, compared to that. It takes, right, forgiveness. It takes a savior. This is why the gospel shines so bright. This is why Paul is saying this is everything. Because I was a, an attacker of the church and God had mercy on me. Every single one of us needs to realize this is who we were. We might not have actively attacked the church, but we were against Christ. That's important for us. Because it moves from this understanding as Paul naturally moves. You have a knowledge of salvation. It leads to a, a producing humility in us. Paul says, but, right, by the grace of God. Here's the guy who says, I'm not worthy to be an apostle. I'm unfit. I persecuted the church. 
But contrast. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Paul has spoken of this, right? The calling, uh, he says in Galatians 1.15, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, he tells Timothy, and I believe this resonates with every one of us in 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The same guy that says, I was a persecutor, I had zeal for God, and I I learned that I was actually attacking him. I was against him. I learned that I was the chief of sinners. I learned that I was an enemy against Christ. I learned that I was condemned. I learned that all this was happening when I thought I was good. Yet he comes to the gospel. He comes to to be aware of who Christ is on that Damascus road. He learns and reveals the heart of God. He understands who he is. It brings him to a knowledge of himself and what was actually happening. And Paul is humbled. And he acknowledges it is God's grace. This is the foundation of Paul's theology. Right? Paul is, is convinced, and maybe you need to hear this today, that if, if an enemy of God, an actual enemy who, who attacked the church, can find grace and redemption in Christ Jesus, then that grace, right, in Christ Jesus is available to every single person. There is no Jew, no Greek, no Gentile. There's no man, with no free, no, no free or slave. It's all simply come to the gospel, right? Come to Christ. It's his invitation. It's his foundation. See, today you have this story. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, well, then you realize that there was a point in your life where you were unworthy. I was unfit. I was a sinner. I was the chief of sinners. That's who I was. I was running to hell as fast as I could, and I didn't even know it. And yet... But, right, contrast, God's grace has come to me. And once I knew when I was unworthy, but now I've been made worthy. Now, instead of being an attacker of the gospel, I'm now a proclaimer. Instead of using my gifts for my own desires and my own needs, I now can use them for the kingdom. Christ has, has reason to redeem me. I have value to the king. My life now makes sense. There's purpose in the things I struggle with because I know uh, the rest of Scripture that he's shaping me into the image of his son. I don't know about you, but that's good news. And we need to be encouraged by this. Listen to the words of Jonathan Edwards. He says, The redeemed are dependent of God for all. All that we have, wisdom, the pardon of sin, deliverance, acceptance in God's favor, Grace, holiness, true comfort and happiness, eternal life and glory we have from God by a mediator. And this mediator is God. God not only gives us the mediator and accepts his mediation of and of his power and grace bestows the things purchased by the mediator. But he is the mediator. Our blessings are are what we have by purchase, and the purchase is made of God. The blessings are purchased of him, and not only so, but God is the purchaser. 
Yes, God is both the purchaser and the price for Christ, who is God, purchased these blessings by offering himself as the price of our salvation. I don't know about you, but that is good news. See, the gospel reveals God's heart. And when we understand it, that he is a holy, just God, and no one lives in his presence, right? And we realize our sin, and I was actually an enemy of Christ. That is when the gospel shines so bright, and we see at Calvary, not some judgment, where we see salvation. We see God who loves us, who calls us by our names. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to James. He appeared to Paul. That He appears to real people, right? He is true and living, and he appears to us today. And the gospel comes, it brings us understanding of who we are, and it humbles us at the foot of the cross, because that is what we realize. I was the chief of sinners, and he made me worthy. What a gracious, loving God. But Paul goes on from there, still reflecting on his life. Look what he says in the last two verses, 10 and 11. He says, and I'm simply saying the gospel is demonstrated in a changed life. The Lord doesn't save you and leave you there. Paul says, but the grace of God, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace towards me is not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Speaking of the other apostles. But he says, yet not I, the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, he tells these doubting believers, some who are struggling to hold on to the faith, he says, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you have believed the same gospel. Paul says, listen to these words, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He acknowledges my apostleship is undeserved. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But look look at the words. It's God's grace towards me. It's not personal, isn't it? The grace of God was with me. Paul's confidence is that a persecutor can, can have this. You can too. So we simply say, right, if it's demonstrated, the gospel is not without effect. Paul says it comes uh, to me, and it wasn't in vain. He's, he goes back to verse 2 where he says, look, if you stood in the gospel, if you've received it and you stood in it, you will be saved by it unless you have believed in vain. So the fault is not on God. The fault is not on Christ, right? Christ did exactly what he was told to do. Not my will, your will be done. Lord, if you can take this cup, he prayed in the garden. Not my will, your will be done. He did it. He went to the cross. He shed his blood. His body was broken. He rose from the grave. God has completed the task. Proof of the acceptance of the sacrifice is the resurrection. He has appeared to Peter, the disciples. He's appeared to James, to common people. He's appeared to Paul, the persecutor. He appears. This morning, right, the gospel has effect. If you're not having that effect in your life, being humbled by the truth, God's mightiness and his grace and his mercy, and yet realize you're encouraged, there is, right, a God who holds my life, and you know that, then you understand the effect of the gospel. Paul says it's to me. He's writing to these believers who are on the verge of giving it up. No, it's for you. His grace is for you. The gospel is not without a response. Paul says, I worked harder than the other apostles. There's a little guilt there, but then he turns around and says, it wasn't I, but it was God who worked in me. It was his grace that worked in me. 
God made me a chief of sinners usable for the kingdom. He can do this in you. Paul is confident that God's grace came to him, not in vain. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. Today, I believe, maybe it's going on in the church in America as we question this. Did, did Christ really, did he really come? Yeah, it's factual. Did he overcome this world? Yeah, it's factual. But see, we don't like some of the words that the Bible uses. So the whole premise, the whole purpose of the gospel is what? You and I have a sin problem. The worst, the biggest problem you and I have is ourselves. And that's not the language, right? You tell a bunch of people if you want to build a church today. Jesus was the worst. He was the worst evangelist. John 6, he was the worst evangelist. Knowing their hearts and why they were following him, he turns and he says what? You don't drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part of me. And these pious Jews, right? Who we're with God. Who can understand this teaching? Right? They were believing in what? Vain. We're following Christ. They walk away. The disciples standing there, and there's Peter, one of these wonderful moments. You can imagine there was a silence, right? They finally walk, people mummering, finally they're gone, it's quiet. I can imagine for effect, Jesus waited probably a little bit longer. And he asked his disciples, Are you going to leave me too? Man, what an important question every single one of us should ask ourselves. And Peter says, what? Where else will we go? You, you alone, have the words to eternal life. Have you believed on Christ? Are you convinced of who he is? Have you come, right, to the Savior? Have you come to Calvary? Have you cast your cares down at this cross or have you believed in vain Jesus didn't fail he did exactly what God the Father had sent him to do the gospel reveals God's willingness to redeem us he sent his son into this world John 3.16 the gospel produces a clear view of ourselves we were enemies we stood against, that was sin, and brokenness, shame, guilt, all of those words. We, like Isaiah, we looked upon him, and we didn't see anything that we desired him. But the gospel is demonstrated in a changed life. See, when you come and you believe in Christ, you're aware that you are an attacker. He redeemed your soul. He called your name. Your name. And he himself writes it in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's a changed life. That's a person who knows I will live for him. He set me free. See, he appeared to those apostles, and what did they do when they were beaten for the name of Jesus? Don't you dare preach in his name. They went out what? Rejoicing. We were found worthy to suffer for the king. That's not human, is it? No, because they had seen Jesus. They did not believe in vain. They were completely convinced. In John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress, Christian, the character in the book, 
and hope, they come to, to meet this person called ignorance. And they try to talk to ignorance. And ignorance is convinced of his religious works, of his goodness, his own goodness in his own life. And to the point where they can't really discuss it. I mean, ignorance just kind of shuns Christian and says, no, you're full of doubts and, and struggles and, and trusting the Savior. I know I'm good. And they come to the end of, of life and, you know, ignorance is ushered when he dies in the, in the boat of vain hope. And he stands at the celestial city and it's here where Christian learns that even at the city of destruction, right, even at the city of, just like the city of destruction, I would say, the celestial city, heaven, there is a way to hell. So ignorance thinks he will be let in, but he's not, he's not known by the king. See, so ignorance is, is a person who's gone to church. It's gone to church, but church won't save you. He's gone to, to different things. He's done works in the community. He's done these things. I'm good. But this is where Christian learns that even at the gates of heaven, there's a path to hell. So Jesus quickens us, doesn't he? When he says, I never knew you. Apart from me. So Paul in his own life says, God's grace to me is not in vain. I have, I have gone to Calvary. I have been there. He is convinced the grace that redeemed me is the grace that can redeem you. Unless you believed in vain. So I'd like to close in prayer. And after I pray, my sister-in-law is here. She's going to sing a special song to close the service. And it's a simple song that says, Come to the table. Come dine with the king. You know, we face trials, we face difficulties in life, but we can have peace and we can have hope in Christ. But you must know him. You must know him. You must place your life in his care. He must be Lord of your life. Put your trust, not just your trust, let your confidence rest there. Because he didn't fail. He overcame the world. He can overcome and forgive you of your sins. That's who he is. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your grace to us in this time this morning. Lord, I thank you for the challenge, even in my own heart. I feel it. That at times, Lord, we, we labored against you. We fought against you before we knew you. And yet, Lord, because of your gospel, because of your truth, we know, Lord, as the Bible exposes it, our sin, we see how wonderful Jesus really is. God, your love is great. And we know you are love. It's one of your attributes. We know, Lord, for each of us that's in Christ Jesus, you will love us forever because you endure forever. Thank you. And I pray, Lord, for each of us this morning with the things happening in our world and, Lord, maybe in our own private lives, the struggles we face, there is ample reason to doubt and to wonder. But let us never question your love for us. Lord, if we, if some of us this morning, are not sure of our salvation, let this be a day, God, that we would 
trust in Christ and him alone. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, but you've given us today this time. So Lord, let us not believe in vain, but let us realize what our Savior has done and how he has called our name. That we might, Lord, in, in, in humility come and say, Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Lord, lead us to believe on Christ, to confess and repent of our sins. Let Christ be the Lord of our lives. Lord, lead us that way. We thank you for the gospel. Lord, it's so precious. Let it be precious to us. Let it be dear to us. Let it grow in us. Lord, let our, our faith be seen in our lives. Let it, uh, Lord, exude from us and impact others, whether it be in our family, our church, or loved ones. Lord, let us encourage one another. As Christ lives, he didn't fail. He appeared. Lord, appear to us. Grow us, I pray. Confidence in Christ for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.